All right. Well, uh, we're joined today by Joe Levy. How you doing, Joe? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm well, thank you. I am surrounded by bits and pieces of leaflets from the election campaign, so I'm in the thick of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're definitely looking forward to chatting with you about that, Joe. Uh, if you don't mind, really quickly introducing yourself, your name, your pronouns, and where people can find you on the World Wide Web. Yeah, so I'm Joe, and I'm a Twitch streamer um, and many other things, but I'm a Twitch streamer under the name of Joe J. Levy. Um, my pronouns are he, him. I am based in Exeter, which is in deepest, darkest Devon in the UK. Um, and uh, yeah, I am a variety streamer. I do all kinds of stuff. I do lots of singing, and I play games badly. I emphasize the badly because I'm not a pro gamer at all. <laughs> um, and I'm currently training to be a classical singer in my spare time as well so yeah really yes I didn't indeed know yeah. That. yeah very exciting so yeah, yeah well, i don't want to work in admin anymore let's put it that way <laughs> mm -hmm. wonderful so, all right yeah. we'll talk maybe more about those lessons i i you know i'm a trained vocalist and my my partner gives voice lessons all day that's her job um and it's just so nice to be joined by someone with such a wonderful accent and and uh, I'm going to grift as much um, uh, of, of your intelligence uh, uh, just just from that accent alone. Really good to be with you today, uh, Joe. One thing I love to do is, uh, is talk about how I know our guest. And uh, we know each other because of Twitch Sings. Yes. Uh, Twitch Sings. Uh, sadly, it's gone. Rest in peace, Twitch Sings. Um, but... Uh, yeah, Twitch Sings, we, we like saying a duet together. And for people who don't know, it's pretty much like an it was like an online game. And it was it was like karaoke, but you could do duets with people. And it was really a lot of fun. I remember we did a duet and uh, and, it, and, it, and it just went from there. huh? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was Boulevard of Broken Dreams, <laughs> if I remember correctly. <laughs> I can I can pretty much pinpoint the song. I can tell you that much. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, I love Twitch things. It was it was fantastic because the community around it was, for the most part, incredibly wholesome and lovely and very accepting. So yeah, it was lovely. I love Twitch things. Miss it dearly. <laughs> I do too. But now that it's gone, I walk alone. I walk alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe. So uh, what we get to do now is uh, ask you a little bit about yourself. Uh, if uh, you want to talk more about um, what you do on your channel, on your Twitch channel, if you want to talk more about what you do in your professional life or, or anything else uh, leftist related, I know you also got the election going on. I don't know if you're doing anything yeah. uh, personally with that other than just voting. Yeah. Well, why don't we go from there? So funnily enough, my relationship with the with politics and twitch and my professional life are deeply intertwined to each other because i've worked at exeter university as an administrator for about five years no six years now because i graduated from there and the reason i decided to stay in exeter working was because i got involved in the local green party and i was very impressed with their local campaigning taking on like a city council that's very dominated by one party labor who'd been quite complacent and weren't really listening to residents voices and were doing a lot of like things like anti-homelessness type stuff and i was just not happy with it so i stuck around in exeter and then I so I got mega involved in politics. Um, yeah. I got so involved that I ran for parliament twice. Um, I ran for city council three or four times. Um, I ran three election campaigns in one year. Um, and we got our first council elected in 2019. And that was great. General election happened. And without going into too much detail, for various reasons, I had an incident basically where I was confronted by a Nazi for my Jewish heritage. And it, oh my. that was taken to court this year. So it's taken over a year for that to be resolved. But yeah. So long story short, I needed a break from politics and the pandemic hit at the same time. And I realized how much I depended on politics and that my biggest lesson was that I think if you depend solely on one thing in life, you can burn out so easily. And having mm. multiple facets to your life is really important. So I yeah. got into Twitch and I got into singing. And and so my relationship with politics, I would say, is a lot healthier now. So I'm back involved in campaigning again. And this time we are trying to elect three new councillors to Exeter City Council, as well as another one to the County Council. 
And this is really significant because it's really about having a balance. I mean, I we have a very archaic uh, elect voting system in this country, which means that it is quite hard to get that balance. So it's taken a lot of work to get to this stage. So my Twitch career has like blossomed from me looking after myself a little bit more and starting to indulge in creative things instead of just just kind of you know it's great to help other people and do things that you believe in but you can only sustain yourself with that if you look after yourself so that is a really like a nutshell of like the last six years yeah. basically so yeah that's that's fascinating um i just learned a lot about you i didn't realize uh you, you ran <laughs> you, you said you ran for parliament you ran for city council is that right yes i did yeah wow. i did quite well actually in the 2019 general election i got awesome. uh just under five thousand votes and i um i got a lot of media coverage because there was all these sort of deals about unite to remain and you know whatever you think of the whole brexit debate and it was about yeah. you know trying to campaign against brexit because i'm very much an internationalist i'm not a fan of nation states and borders and i while the eu isn't perfect i didn't like this idea of the uk closing in so that was part of my mo motivation and you know it, it's been it's quite a, it, the challenge yeah. we have now is obviously we are quite isolated in many ways uh, ideologically from the rest of the world so mm. it's a tough time to be a, in, in left politics in the UK for sure. So, mm. yeah. Um, I, th I think, um, I think the left is wandering everywhere. We don't, we, we just, we, I don't know, at least in, in, in a lot of the Western world, it just seems to be wandering. Uh, just, just, we don't know what to do. Yeah. Every, I, I asked so many people, you know, um, of course we have the, the questionnaire coming up later. Uh, I asked folks, uh, an influ influential leftist they'd like to meet, and they're like, yeah, I'd like to meet XYZ, and mm. I'd ask them what the fuck to do, because no one knows what to do. Yeah. We're all wandering. Yeah, um, it does yeah. feel like that, for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think one of the things that I, I feel is that there are a lot of parallels to be drawn from history. I think society across the world is in a period of sort of chaos. And if you look at like the end of the Roman Empire, for example, when you get out of that chaos is you get extremes of wealth and extremes of poverty. You get extraordinary cultural phenomena. You get really interesting things coming out of it. But what we have yet to do as a species is work out how we stop the that chaos turning into disaster and pulling everyone down with it. And that's our challenge this century is to not let that catastrophe pull us down and actually see hope and positivity in the future instead of just embracing disaster. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's a, it's a big ask. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, all right. Well, Joe, I'd love to ask a little bit, uh, just a little bit more about you, a little bit personal, uh, mm -hmm. personally, like your hobbies, like what keeps you busy when you're not thinking about politics, uh, yeah. hanging out on Twitch? Yeah. So I, well, so, I mean, for so long, like politics has taken up quite a lot of my life and Twitch is now like, I would say is a big center, but I spend a lot of time singing because I really want I really, yeah, singing is, is my sort of main passion and I want it to become my career. I'm actually training to be a singing teacher now because I only started singing properly last year. I only started having lessons a year ago, but I'm, my teacher said, oh, would you, would you be interested in developing that and actually becoming a, a, a a teacher yourself and i was th i was thinking you know this is such a great opportunity and to have a teacher who's willing to do that so that's very exciting and i'm very much like a musician who plays by ear so i'm trying to get to grips with theory because my i'm not that technical i'm more of like a what instinctively sounds good and for classical you cut yeah there's very strict rules about what you you can and can't do there's you, you have some choices but it's but there's certain frameworks i do a lot of writing i write short stories um i've written i've read them out on my twitch channel before like they're like ghost stories i love like psychological thrillers ghost stories i find like they're really useful ways of getting through trauma and stuff is channeling into a good ghost story um and i do a bit of painting uh cooking baking gardening um i'm basically i'm like a sort of 1940s housewife mixed with like a sort of late 70s protester kind of personality i don't that i there's a there's a chef in the uk called delia smith and i think if i had if, if i were ever to do drag it would be psychedelia smith would be my uh would be my act <laughs> you better lock it only that works, down it works if you know who delia smith is if you don't then it's kind of just a a, a random name but there we go <laughs> 
You're gonna have to lock down that drag name because that's fucking brilliant. If someone else wants to own it though, and yeah. then go for it, I will happily provide them with notes. You know, if I'm not gonna go for that, then someone else can. Delia Smith, right here. Yeah, but then you need to add a bit more, right. like, because Delia Smith's quite traditional, sort of like, yeah. you know, chef and a like cook, and I'm not, I'm not very, I'm some parts of me are immensely traditional, and other parts of me are far from it. So yeah. <laughs> She looks like the uh, the traditional American Karen. Yeah, it's that that hairstyle. It's kind of waterfall <laughs> at the front and fireworks at the back, isn't it? So perfect description. It's it's um yeah, it's kind of uh sort of curtains at the front and the Iron Throne behind. So there we go. Yeah, oh there's so gosh. many different. Yeah, there's so many different references you could make to that hairstyle. Hilarious. All right, all right, Joe. Um, let's keep going. I get to dig yeah. more, uh, dig into the interview here and I'd love to ask you more about, uh, you probably started touching on some of these things. They'll probably, they'll probably mm -hmm. thread into your, uh, your, your, your running for parliament and city council, uh, your, uh, political action that, uh, uh you've mm -hmm. taken part in. Let's talk about, uh, Joe, your leftward bound journey, a pathway to the left, or yes. left adjacentism. You don't have to be, uh, you know, identify identify as left. If you want to, I, I uh, self identify your ideology or your politics. Feel free to do so. Otherwise, let's uh, start the chat about your pathway leftward. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I if I was going to put a word on it. Although yeah. I'm not always fond of using specific terms, but um, eco socialist would be the closest to where <laughs> I sit, really, which is is ultimately yeah. a mixture of localist and state intervention where you give people a certain amount of autonomy, but you protect people. Um, I, so I think I was always destined to head in that direction. I don't think I was always, I don't, I didn't always have strong political views, but I've always had strong views, but I think my upbringing and my circumstances very much drove me that way. So one, my dad's family being an immigrant family from North Africa, and the a Jewish family and so the mixture of like anti-Semitism and also like different kinds of discrimination within within immigrant communities as well. Um, my mum was a barrister for the Crown Prosecution Service, so very like aware of like justice. They'd both, my mum had been to Rock Against Racism on the march in 1979. Um, my grandma was an act, she was an activist and she, when um, children were fleeing Vietnam during the Vietnamese um, war, Vietnam war, um, she drove around London with like bread and toys and stuff delivering them. So she very like, um, a very a family that's very aware of community so i was brought up into that sphere and then i was and then i was very environmentally conscious as a child as well like i ran like a campaign when i was like 14 uh, to save the orangutan because i was really concerned about palm oil and i in when facebook groups were a thing that were like before pages like i set up a face group for that and then i think because i was the first year to pay so i don't know how much you know but basically until 2012, tuition fees for like higher education in the UK were, I, were they were they did exist, but they were quite a lot lower. And then they jumped from three thousand pounds a year to nine thousand pounds a year in a single uh, in a single year. And they've been at least that since then. And I was the first cohort to pay that, and I felt very angry. But also, I didn't really feel I could go to. I, I didn't I, I don't know I just felt so cross and there was such a sense of injustice and so I just started spending a lot more time around activists and at that point the Green Party was growing particularly fast by the time like sort of 2014-15 and it was drawing a lot of left-wing activists from Labour so a lot of the people I was spending time with were people who felt that Labour was too centrist and they were coming to the green. So when I didn't know much about politics, the people I was surrounded by the most were people on the left. And factoring in my experiences of the world as a gay man who went to a Catholic school but had a Jewish father, you know, I basically was exposed to like this really and also friends who lived in the like friends who lived in huge houses and friends who lived in in poverty. Like I basically just saw the world and was like well, this is shit. So I don't, but I'm not going to just observe. I'm going to take, uh, take part in it. And yeah, I think ever since then, like it's just been a sort of a, a 
I've never doubted that for one moment. I've just it's sort of, sort of renewed. And my parents are now members of the Green Party as well, and they do oh, like campaigning and stuff as well. And yeah, it's you know my my family generally has come along with me on that on that interesting expedition um, through politics. <laughs> yeah. All right, Joel. Lots of lots of important things along the way there. I wonder if we can just dig in at, at, at all anymore, uh, if we can follow up at all uh, with this. Want to make sure we exhaust this portion of our chat here. Any hmm. other aspects of uh, other aspects of politics or of leftist theory or of leftist thinking? Any other anything in history? What what like intellectually convinced you? Uh, that you know, or, or 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 showed you that you were moving left. What were what were the light bulbs that were going off in your brain? I think so. It's actually so. I think some people it is through like it's through theory, it's through reading. I mean, some of that for me was true because I did I studied archaeology and anthropology as my degree, and I think there was a a lot of extent to which I witnessed through studying the destruction that anthropologists had done, British anthropologists had done in a colonial context. And that really angered me. Uh, to be honest, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember the names of them. But to be fair, I'm not sure I want to remember too much the really crappy ones. Um, but also uh, through archaeology, you kind of see the destruction of societies and their development and you see different ways of communities forming. And so I saw kind of the world in a very different frame to how I'd done before uh, my degree. And also through music as well. Like I'm really I, I really um, engage like that. I feel there's a real dearth of popular protest music in existence today compared to. Uh, say the 80s and my favorite singer is uh kirsty mccall and on the surface a lot of it of like i think a lot of people won't even know who she is but a lot of her music is you don't doesn't seem political but then when you start to listen it's a commentary on life in thatcher's britain yeah. and she was part of the red wedge of musicians including people like billy bragg who yes i've seen billy bragg live in fact i was at billy, i was at a like i was at a gig of his when um he he was the person who told me that um, Nelson Mandela had died, which is oh. a really, really interesting moment wow. to say. Like, you remember where you were. I was at a Billy Bragg gig, like really quite powerful sometimes hearing it from. But yeah, so that that era of music, because that, that was my mum's era of music, like yeah. the early 80s. So that really shaped me. So listening to them go after Thatcher, go after the British state and kind of, you know, mm -hmm this old colonial like empire model i just felt i didn't want to be part of that and that was and i think as soon as people said well that makes you left wing well, i was like well good because <laughs> mm. i don't want to be the opposite of that i i'm not i wouldn't say i'm as learned as some people in terms of like actual you know theory and i'm not and you know i I probably should have read more, but I sort of quite like that I've come to my own conclusions and it somehow has aligned quite nicely with a lot of my friends who are, you know, they've done a lot more reading than me. And I've definitely, I've definitely, I think I've approached it from like a very localist perspective as well, trying to apply some of these things in local government and local politics. And that's been exciting because trying to translate it in ways that are really tangible to people in their day-to-day -day lives is the goal so that we can get people on board if we can turn these these theories into real action then we can we can affect great change which is keeping me going <laughs> awesome so along the way uh music uh, amongst other things the red wedge that's a new term for me billy bragg i'm familiar with billy bragg because i love wilco and they did a couple uh albums together yeah. um i love billy bragg and uh, you, you discovered along the way sort of uh, the harm of uh, the, the Thatcher era, the Thatcher Reagan era. You, you, you saw the harm of colonialism. You were. You, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you realize you're, you're left. Absolutely. And I think there's another part as well, which is and I think this is a sort of a generational thing as much as anything is that I grew up with Blair as the prime minister for most of my childhood. And. And that I think is really in I think that's really significant because I think that 
it means that not you know because i grew up with blair as the prime minister but then went to university when the tories and the lib dems were in power which means that the three main parties just were not an option to me and i had to think a bit outside the box and some people came back to labor and they they formed a much bigger movement but i think that i think that i've always i've always felt that diversity is important in politics and that you you know it's unfortunately it's the electoral system we have that creates problems but i felt that my place was with the eco-socialist angle of that and i felt that the green party was my natural home and i know many people who found their natural homes elsewhere i think and i still feel with conviction that the green party is the right place for me whereas i know many people where it depending on who's leader, depending on who's in control of, of Labour, they've they've never been sure. And I really feel for them because fighting for their, that left identity and the link between la- the Labour movement and the Labour Party, mm. that's becoming, it's becoming increasingly fractured. And so, yeah, it's, but, and I think Tony Blair has so much to blame for that because the, yeah. he carved out this centrist identity. And that's yeah. what I grew up being knowing, whereas I think previous generations had see, had, had a very different, they had different perceptions of Labour and what it meant. So it depends on what you grew up with, I guess. Okay, Joe. Uh, uh Lovely. Uh, Joe, one of the things we're doing here is we're planting mm-hmm. seeds. The idea is we want to return to the conversation and we'll see, you know, what's growing. And then, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, next time we have you uh, back, we'll, we'll see what's growing. We'll, we'll plant some new seeds and we'll just we'll just keep it going. And of course, next time we have you back, we'll pretty much ditch the format here, the format here. But uh, the next question in this format for our chat today is is uh, the, the, the categories hashtag be best. If uh, if Joe, if you had the chance to maybe go back in time and speak to a younger version of yourself, or you know, distill mm. your life into maybe some generic life tips for our chat or the replay viewer, or even sort of leftist, uh, 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 sort of inspired life advice, uh, what would uh, what would you share if given the chance? I don't know if this is specifically leftist, but I think it actually would probably help the movement at large, which is that done is better than perfect. And this is something that I learned from a few friends of mine who they won a Green Party council seat in the northeast of England in a very like heavily working class, like historically labour for decades would. And they just, they're the kindest, most gentle people you can know, but they are excellent politicians and excellent activists. And this idea of done is better than perfect. I think the trouble is that because we are fighting, it feels like we are always fighting against a tide of of right-wing activism, of, of fascism in some cases. And it's incredibly tiring doing that and we we hold ourselves to incredibly high standards but we don't necessarily hold other people to those the same high standards you know we we push ourselves so far and i think accepting that the work that you do can be good enough will motivate yourself to survive for longer because it isn't none of this is easy it's a long road and i've been doing this for six years and I know that some people have been campaigning for decades and you survive that by accepting that you will never get it right all the time and that's actually something that I've come to terms with having a year away from politics and then coming back into it is actually also accepting that you can be agnostic about stuff sometimes as well you don't have to have an opinion on absolutely everything that the ability to just like step back and go this person can talk and have their viewpoint and I can sit and mull it over. I don't have to react because it's very, you know, I, I mean, I've so many I've seen so many mental health problems emerge from political activism, um, including my own. Um, and it's really it's really healthy to be able to kind of detach yourself sometimes, even if it's something you really believe in strongly, just to give yourself sustenance. That sustenance is looking after yourself and accepting your own limitations so i always say done is better than perfect because my friend elaine my friends elaine and david up in northeast they in the northeast they always say that so i repeat that to myself every day so that i don't burn out again (laughs) excellent advice thank you done is is better than perfect yeah Uh, i'm going to 
I'm going to have it written. I'm going to write it somewhere. Maybe frame it. <laughs> it's beautiful. All right. Uh, so that brings us to the next portion of our chat, the leftist inquisition. Ooh. Everyone loves it. No one hates it. You could skip any question for any reason. Okay. And I will not be offended. I don't care. These are just get to know you questions. Uh, first question is, do you have a favorite word? Oh, a favorite word. It's actually a French word because that's oh. my second language. Yes. It's ninufar it's and it means water lily. And it's just a lovely word. It's, it's very simple. <laughs> ninufar. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, uh, thank you. <laughs> points for originality. Haven't heard that one yet. No, Do you have a least? might not hear it again. <laughs> least favorite word. <laughs> yes, Ooh, um, least favorite word. Oh, that's oh, that's a tricky one. Um, austerity. Oh, I hate that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like, oh, look, we're tightening our belts. And it's like, no, you're not. You're just making poor people suffer and the rich don't have to do anything. I hate the word austerity. I won't say it then. Do you, uh, Joe, do you have a favorite drug, a favorite vice or guilty pleasure? Or if you like, you can name one of each. Uh, I don't have a favorite drug um, because my body produces enough uh chemicals to last me an entire day mainly <laughs> adrenaline uh oh i don't know i so i don't think i have a guilty pleasure because i try not to feel guilty about stuff i kind of like i'm i dis i kind of don't like like you see i love watching bad films but objective yeah. you can't be there's such a thing as an objectively bad film really yeah. but like you know that I, but I wouldn't call that a guilty pleasure because i feel like there's too much we have too much guilt in our lives let's not add that to so i just it, i just have pleasures and you can read into that however you like <laughs> <laughs> joe do you have a favorite sound or a sound or noise that you love um i love the sound of like wind through trees like it's very calming like i'm I grew up in a city and I still live in a city, but like I just escape when I go around trees. I know that's such a cliche of green. It's like, yeah, Joe, you're tree hugger. I'm like, well, yes, unfortunately that, no, not unfortunately. No, that is factually correct. So there we go. <laughs> I haven't heard wind through trees yet. Well done. Um, We're about 70 interviews deep here. Um, <laughs> Joe. Yeah. Uh, oh, how about a sound or noise that you don't love or maybe you even hate it? Um, Boris Johnson's voice. I can't. I just, I have to turn, I have to turn anything where he speaks. I just have to turn it off. I can read like a transcript maybe, and I can tolerate that in that I hate it, but I can at least read it, but I cannot listen to him. It just annoys me so much. So yeah, I spare myself that. That guy's interesting. Mm, that's a very polite way of that, putting it. That, that guy is uh Mm, he's the embodiment of entitlement. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. Now, you mentioned your family's from Northern Africa. The next question involves cheese. Um, if you were born or spent a good deal of time in France or Wisconsin, you get more than one answer. Everyone else gets one answer unless you break the rules, Joe, in which case I can't stop you. What's your okay, favorite well cheese? Yeah. Firstly, I'm vegan, so it has oh. to be a, so it mm -hmm. has to be a vegan cheese. Mm -hmm. um, I have recently tried a vegan camembert, and I was very impressed because I haven't been vegan for more than a few years, okay. and I was I was very surprised. It tasted an awful lot, and I even baked it. So, I, before I would have like I would always said like like a camembert like brie type cheese and I, I'm sticking with that now just the vegan equivalent. So honestly, I'm so stereotypical Green Party like it's just painful and I just I just accept it now. Like it's like I've said the wind through the trees and I was vegan living and you know all that. Are are, are like Green Party uh, in the UK? Is that is, is is what's the equivalent like Champagne Socialists or what? 
brunch it, socialist. The the stereotype <laughs> is that, but I feel like it's not oh. reflected in the ground. Like that's the yeah. such the frustrating thing. Like it's it's like we're seen as really like we're seen as middle really middle class. I am middle class. There's no denying it. But most of the friends I have who are voters and supporters are actually working class, which is quite interesting. So mm-hmm. yeah. But I'm thoroughly middle class. You can tell by how posh I sound. <laughs> Joe, I'm loving this so far. Do you um, have an answer to this question, which is the reincarnation question? If you could come back as some other plant or a non-human animal and somehow you were given the choice, what might it be? Okay, so um, if we're going with a plant I would go come back as a yew tree because they are incredibly long-lived trees. They are very, they're sentinels. They're very, like, they've got many different uses and they are, they have sort of myths and legends around them. So the oldest trees in the UK are all yew trees. Um, They're beautiful, like, creatures um, like myself. Um, Um. I was going to say they're quite twisted, but I don't like myself, but that's actually not accurate. So, you know, <laughs> no. Um, if I was to come back as an animal, that's quite a tough one because I am the kind of person who I see an animal and I just get really excited. Just like my, I, I'm like a small child. Um, I, it's a tough one. I'd quite like to be an owl. I love, like, I think owls are really cool. Um, I've held an owl before. Um, yeah. And I've got followed to, I got followed to the pub once by an owl. It was just like <laughs> flying from tree to tree behind me. Uh, it was like playing grandmother's footsteps with me, which is an unusual experience. But so, yeah. You made an owl friend. Exactly. It's yeah. So animals love animals. Love me. I'm a modern day Snow White. What can I say? I believe it. I uh, love <laughs> it. Next up is uh, oh, it's the God question. Yeah. So Joe, if uh, at the end of your life, you know, you go to heaven. And then, and then you're at the pearly gates and there's God and then God's God starts speaking to you. What would you like to hear God say to you? Only because I've watched the good place. Everything yeah. is fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. Everything's I just wanted fine. to say that. Yeah. That's to be fair. That's an, inc- I, in the wisdom of the good place, like that, that is actually an incredibly like you, you do want someone to say that like throughout life. So why not, why not in death be told that everything is fine? <laughs> It's sort of a ripoff, though, of Douglas Adams's yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide. Don't panic. For sure. Yeah, it's totally yeah, but I, uh, but I think don't panic implies that the default is panic, whereas everything is fine. Is like, just just breathe. You know, yeah. everything's fine. It, it like the sounds that the words make as well. Fine is like a soft, whereas panic is a plosive. So it's like, ah. so <laughs> everything's fine is nice and like lilting. Everything's fine. Exactly. You say it. You say it very calmingly. Yeah. It's... Thank you. The mic does most of the work. Uh, it does. No. <laughs> Joe. Joe. Uh, please name an influential leftist, dead or alive, that you'd love to be able to meet. Maybe have a, a hypothetical conversation with, and feel free to take that any direction you like. Well, I suppose sticking with what I said earlier about music. So, um, Kurt, I, I, it depends whether you describe her as influential. I would say she was. I just don't think it was really appreciated at the time. Kirsty McColl, and I would say she was unusual because she's not a left. She's, I mean, she's from the same circle as Billy Bragg, but she wasn't. I, I think a lot of people wouldn't have known that she was a leftist. But so much of what she did in her, um, so Kirsty McColl was a singer, and she died tragically in two thousand, saving her own children from an oncoming speedboat, which was owned by a billionaire in Mexico, and he got away with only paying nine thousand pounds in damages because he owned pretty much all the supermarkets there. Um, big businessman, but she throughout her life she did quite a lot of really brilliant things, and she was a fantastic feminist uh icon as well because she wrote her own songs and defied record labels when they wanted her to fit a certain model she um was a strong environmental activist and she did a lot of things um to promote environmental activism she was very anti-thatcher and promoted her she she wasn't she didn't hide away from her views um and she uh you know she was i mean she was just a generally regarded widely as a very kind person and i kind of think that what's influential about that is that i think because she doesn't meet the general population stereotype of what a leftist Mm -hmm. 
popular figure looks like. You know, I think Billy Bragg is fantastic, but I think a lot of people have defined their image around protest music and and celebrity in relation to politics around people like him. Mm. And it's great to have, especially at that time, a woman who is so uh, such a significant voice. And I think, to be honest, I think it's more for like a set. There's a, a couple of generations that have been influenced by her, which is the people who were in their teens and 20s when she was um, making most of her music and their children. And it's there's like a great comfort. And I would love to have met her because I just think that she has uh, she had like such strong views and and passions but she is an incredibly creative person and again a very hospitable person and so you know sometimes when you you're anxious you kind of feel anxious about wanting to talk to someone because you worry about you you know almost treading on eggshells but she is someone who i think i would have felt very at ease talking to because of the way that she came across so yeah Joe, can you help me out? What's the name? I I, I couldn't actually find... Do you want me to uh, type it in your chat? Just type it or spell it out for me. Yeah. And then I'll look it up. I'm I, trying to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm exactly sure who you're talking about. I've just Kirstie popped Kirstie McCall. Yeah, she did a lot of songs that a lot of people... Um, a lot of people don't might not know is her. Some of them were just really witty... Yeah. Like, songs. But she also... Like, there was one called Free World, which was just, like, a criticism of... Uh, of Thatcher, basically. This is crazy. Um, this is a picture of her at the Double Door in Chicago, which is uh, just <laughs> down the block from where I lived. It. Oh, that's yeah. really funny. They actually just shut the me. shut down the Double Door. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No, no, no. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like she. I, I think she. Steve she, Lillywhite uh, was her husband. Holy shit! Yeah. Oh, that's mm. pretty based. She, um, yeah. She she wrote a whole album about the divorce. So. Oh. Yeah. Um, and Tracy Ullman's first, yeah. like her singing career, most of Tracy Ullman's songs were written by Kirsty McCall. So, really? Well, they don't know. I don't know if you know, they don't know, but um, they don't know about us. Okay. And they've never heard of love. That was a Kirsty yeah. McCall song, which she wrote on the fly in like half an hour when she was like 19. So, <sighs> so Tracy Ullman's music career was driven very much by. Uh, Kirsty McCall. But like, I think the thing is like initially she had that kind of particular style, which would have gone yeah. down trace the Tracy Elman route. But I think she wanted to be a bit different and that's why she ended up more with the Billy Bragg kind of, because she was in a punk band before because the time that she appeared, she, her first song was released in 1979, which like punk purists will say is like the only year that punk ever existed. Uh, of but of course, obviously that's not quite how it works. Um, but that obviously was a very politically intense period yeah. in this country. And so a lot of music that comes out of that era, including hers, either goes complete opposite and tries to shield people from it or exposes the reality of it. And she did actually a funny, quite a good job of mixing those things together. So, yeah. All right. Uh, then next, I'd love to ask you, Joe. Do you have a favorite leftist book or author? Oh. Define leftist any way you like. We've been doing that all day. Oh, uh, that's an, a really interesting, yeah, interesting one. Um, oh, um, I'm trying. I'm trying to. I would say. I mean, the Road to Wigan Pier by uh, George Orwell was very influential for me because i started to look at it because it, it I, it's examination of of like industrial society at the time and i think because i, I like i said i grew up with a middle class like a, a comfortable but not wealthy background like but i didn't have any exposure to like the life that was described here and i think it was quite I think that was a really valuable book for me to read. And then it looked at the future of it, like towards the end, it starts to look at the future of humanity and stuff. And it's quite yeah. like, it's a real mixture of stuff, but it, it definitely has stuck with me. I'm, I, I think I kind of read it almost because it was on a list of books when I went to do a level English. And I, I, I thought I just picked it out of thin air, but actually it was, I was one of the, one of the ones on that list that I'm exceptionally glad that I did because I think about it now and how 
many times I've stuff from the book has rung true in real life. So yeah, like the thing is, I'm I'm one of those people who I think my act introduction to like leftist activism and culture has been much more practical. So there's very few examples of like where I've brought reading into that, but there are a few. And sometimes I find I it tends sometimes goes into like so I I like to try and now now that i have greater awareness sometimes i reread stuff and i see things that i didn't see before sometimes you find with writers that you realize they were quite horrifyingly right wing you just didn't realize that this is as a child or something but or, or they've got very particular agendas but you know but that's the one book that sticks out in my head amongst a few that i was that i'd say is a particular favorite of mine All right, Joe. Lastly, streamer tips. Uh, do you have any tips for content creators, be them streamers or others? Uh, they could be could be tips for beginners. It could be tips for the advanced. So, for, oh, there's, I've got a few, actually, because sure. I just passed my one year of streaming, which is exciting. I did that. Was sat not this Saturday, just gone, but the one before. Thank you. Yeah. And it's been Me a too. really... Oh, really? Oh, actually, no. Mine was... Wait. Well... The actual yeah. anniversary was... Mine was the so, 24th. So my actual anniversary was the 22nd. Uh, but I celebrated on the Saturday because I was like, do you know what? I'm going to stream for 16 hours and see what happens. And a Saturday is the easiest day to do that. I live alone, so I've got not much else to do. Woo! And I was like, do you know what? I need a need a bit of... Um, I need a bit of, uh, you know... I want to indulge all the different games I own. So I tried to do as many uh, games as I could with as many different people as I could as well. Yeah. Um, so my tips for streaming. So firstly is uh, there's a couple of practical ones, which is like for equipment, don't buy super expensive stuff before you feel you need to like try it out. If you've already got expensive stuff, fine, but like don't, you, you don't need the most expensive microphone in the world to get started. If you don't have that stuff and just want to try it out, give it a go. And then as you grow, you can find, well, actually, it is worth me. But it's like if you're trying it out, it's it's knowing that you're committed to it. I think it's some people feel that they have to have the best setup in the world to be successful. But actually, I found that I built the community before I started investing in stuff your personality and who you are as a human being is more important. And you, you, what you want to give people a sense of is that they are welcome and they are part of something uh, that they feel at home and safe and comfortable. So good rule, ground rules and stuff like that. Um, the other thing is again, done is better than perfect. So I go back to that all the time is this idea that you don't, don't put yourself under pressure to be better and don't compare yourself to other people like we started at the same roughly the same time but we've had very different trajectories because we've got different ideas of what we want to do and there's no neither is better nor, nor worse it's it's just different and they both contribute valuably and I've, I've seen a lot of people at streamers at who have got a few viewers and streamers who've got hundreds who do all do the same thing, which is they go, Oh, why have I not got more viewers? Why have I, you know, and if it's really important not to think about that and instead focus on just enjoying yourself, having a good time, because ultimately this is a sociable thing that should be fun and it should be reflect you at your best. So if you're feeling stressed or anxious, sometimes maybe decide not to stream and that's the other thing as well is is placing limits so that you don't push yourself too hard like yes i did do a 16 hour stream and yes i'm an utter hypocrite but i did that because i felt i could and i wanted to and i will often take breaks to do stuff um and don't be afraid to share your passions with stuff as well don't you just don't have you don't have to follow what you see as the standard streamer model like bring politics into it bring art bring whatever you're passionate about into it that's like i i i'm bringing it back at some point but like i, I used to do quite a lot of storytelling streams um because i write short stories i the reason i'm not doing the moment is because i'm still writing another batch of stories but you know and and again if that doesn't bring in loads of views it doesn't matter because the point is that the people who tune into that will feel valued and they will feel part of it it's not about the, it's not about size <laughs> it's you know it's about the value that you give to the people that are there. And 
sometimes that's no people and that's okay just have fun and just enjoy yourself and learn to talk to yourself i'm good at talking to myself already like i do it all the time now my internal monologue is just an external monologue so yeah <laughs> i love that joe good stuff in there really excellent advice thank you i do thank try you. it's like some of it i've learned the hard way um oh, you, yeah. you, you you go through phases of like imposter syndrome and doubting yourself and then i think you look at other people who act and i think for me i found this because you know i am very lucky to have, mm -hmm. have have the number of followers and the number of viewers i have and there are obviously people that are bigger streamers than me but that's but the point is that i have people who have told me that they use what I've got to as like a model. So it would be yeah. actually rude of me to then say that what I've got is not enough because it's saying that those smaller streamers are lesser. And I don't like mm -hmm. that. Like their, commu their community and their channel is as valuable as one that's 10 times their size or 20 times. It's about, you know, what you put into it. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's important to see the value in whatever size community you have. It's not how big it is. It's how you use it. Uh, I've heard that somewhere I've, else in my life. I can't remember. Oh, but, yeah. If I had a penny for every time I had to use that phrase. <laughs> mm -hmm. Joe, we've come to the end of the Inquisition, and I'm going to skip through the portion where I ask you um, uh, if you have questions for me, because... Uh, one of the reasons that we brought you on today is because uh, you reached mm. out to me and you're like, I want to talk to you about what's happening in the UK and the elections. And I'm like, well, yes. I want to make sure that we do this before the elections and then we'll be able to we'll have something to follow up on. And, yeah, and absolutely. Uh, so we were doing a little uh, homework before the stream, learning about the, the elections in UK and Wales and Scotland. And uh, you're on the ground there. And I figured uh, who best mm -hmm. to hear from than than someone someone who can actually uh, uh, spell it out and handle my 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 five-year-old questions where you're gonna have to explain it to me like a baby because i don't understand things sometimes but uh there's lots yeah, of um as i understand uh 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 there's there's english local councils 143 apparently that are uh that are up uh, up for grabs five thousand no, seats uh, yeah seats? five thousand okay. different okay. seats and mm -hmm. then so i mean which is a record because it's more than okay. would have been because of covid so they've been oh. All rescheduled. So yeah, sorry, yeah, 143 council, yeah. but 5,000 seats. Um, yeah, yeah. English government is very like in fact, yeah, the government governance in the UK is really complicated because there are so many different different systems, and they're used in different places, and they've mm -hmm. added more. So. Mm -hmm. Where I live, we have got three votes because we are voting for the city council, but we live in a larger county. So the county council, so I've got, we can vote for a city councillor and a county councillor and a police and crime commissioner. Some places they have a, they don't, they only have their counts, one councillor to vote for, but they have police and crime commissioner and a metro mayor. Some have a police and crime commissioner and a metro mayor, but not a councillor. Like basically <laughs> there will be multiple different combinations of those of those different elections going on and they okay. use different voting systems as well which makes it even more confusing so the council elections use first past the post so whoever mm -hmm. gets the most votes wins uh, london assembly uses mixed member proportional representation so oh. half of the seats are constituencies and the other half are like uh, list votes so it's reallocated according so that's where the greens uh the Lib dems and other small parties do quite well the directly elected mayors use a first and second preference vote system, as does the London mayoral election. Oh, the that's, Senate, fa that's fascinating. We, we, we never see that in the United yeah, States, like ranked voting, anything like that. It's usually devolved parts of the country where they've had non-Tory uh, governments in control at some point is that that's how it's got through. Um the Seneth in Wales, and it's pronounced Seneth, which I discovered. It's like the oh. W is a V sound, Seneth. Um, so that is a proportional, it's a, rough, it's a roughly proportional system. So again, you have constituencies and then you have a uh, mixed member. The Scottish Parliament, again, half of them up in uh, constituencies and the other half, they use single transferable votes i believe so and then i think police and crime commissioners i think is 
God, this is bad. It's because the, no one really likes the Police and Crime Commissioner role for the most part because it wasn't really very popular when it came in. But I'm pretty sure that is a... I think it's either rank choice or first and second. But yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it's basically... It's, it's complicated. So I wouldn't blame anyone for not understanding what's going on because it's a real, 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 real mess. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, oh, national elections yep. use AMS. Okay, there we go. So local right. use STV, national use... Uh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, so you're on the ground there. And mm. where are you in the UK? Did you mention... Is it okay if I ask? Yes. Yeah, so I'm in the city of Exeter. So Exeter oh, has yeah. had a Labour MP since 1997 in the big sort of tide of MPs. And his majority, Ben Bradshaw, the MP, has, has stayed broadly the same, um, broadly big. And in 2010, it was quite close. But since then, Exeter's just drifted leftwards as the city's expanded. Mm. Um and it's got a Labour-run council, and it's had a Labour-run council since 2012, but also had a Labour-run council for most of the time since 95. So it's pretty dominated by Labour. But in 2019, there was quite a significant change, which reflects a national change that was happening more widely, which is that at local elections, and again, these are first-past-the-post elections, that an increasing number of Greens, Independents, and Lib Dems were elected. Now, Lib Dems are centrist um, in from most most cases although you do get local councillors that maybe are a bit better so like here local the local Lib Dems are actually pretty good because they're very uh, good at you know they're much better on issues like homelessness um, and on um, you know housing and and communities you know they're generally better than I would associate the the national parties Um, but basically what happened in 2019 was that Labour uh, lost all three of the city centre wards. So all the way that our wards work is that we... So my council elects in thirds. So there are elections every year. So there are three councillors in each ward and one of them is elected each year for three years, then the county council elections and then back to the four-year cycle. It's, yeah, it's really hard to, like, <laughs> get your head around. It's So how on earth people who are not campaigners in local elections understand they don't basically but in that election Mm -hmm. the green party won uh, the city center ward of st david's with uh, jumping from 32 percent to 55 percent of the vote um which was you know the biggest majority of any candidate in the city uh an independent won uh the ward adjacent to that with uh 48 from nothing having never stood before it was a campaign to protect green spaces and then um the lib dems increased their number of councillors so essentially we have like most councils in the uk are one party states so either the tories or labor run them and they've run them for a long time and that is down to the electoral system but it's also down to kind of the political uh, arena in the country since the lib dems went into coalition with the tories we've kind of lost a lot of that third party voting and that's starting to change again it's now reversing that trend of becoming polarized we're now seeing more and more smaller parties independents crop up um, which really kind of shows that people ultimately are really they want a proportional system Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that's what most polls show is that people want a proportional system. But because of local elections aren't, you know, they're not national elections, they don't control the government, people are much more willing to vote for other parties. So we're finding in Exeter, and I know a lot of people are finding this elsewhere, that the green vote is growing massively on the basis that we have Keir Starmer, who is a real centrist. Um, hasn't really opposed Boris Johnson much at all. And he's not the most, he's not a particularly inspiring leader. Now, I wasn't a fan of everything Jeremy Corbyn did, but I will say that his ability to motivate people to go out and campaign and support, which is one of the fundamental functions of a political party, was exceptionally good. And I think that people don't really, you know, I think people don't really think about that enough. And a lot of those disaffected Labour voters now who go, you know what, Keir Starmer doesn't represent that. They're going, well, at least in local elections, I'm going to vote 
green or an independent or you know and there's all sorts of different local parties cropped up as well so there's like a left-wing party in the northeast called the northern independence party um, and they are like a left-leaning uh, party that wants to sort of challenge labor's traditional complacency with working class voters in the northeast so england is one thing because that's all it's like it's first past the post council elections in the Senate in Wales and in the Scottish Parliament, it's more complicated. And Scotland's particularly complicated because almost all the constituencies will go to the SNP. Um, and, that, and that's critical because of in, the issue of independence. The list votes. I'm, I think although I'm campaigning in the local council elections in England, I'm more interested somehow in the Scottish Parliament elections because there's a lot more at stake, I would say. Like, I think constitutionally, it's much more profound because the Greens there are pro-independence, as are Greens across the UK are generally pro-self-determination. Um, so it's likely there will be another independent supermajority between the different independent supporting parties. So that is another one to watch. And again, in the Senate in Wales, it'll be interesting to see how Plaid Cymru does. And again, the Greens there might pick up their first seat, but also abolish the Welsh Assembly, uh, the, which is, and it's not even called the Welsh Assembly, which means it's hilarious that their party is called that. Um, they are standing as well. So it's like, it's, yeah, there's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to unpack. I'm sorry, I've just dumped a load of information so, on you there. Lots of stuff there. Um, one uh, one thing that was brought up by a member of my community was uh, in Scotland, the I can't remember what they call themselves, the Scottish Family, family Party or whatever. So effectively pro-life, you mm. know, pro – looks like very much like pro-white culture uh, effectively. Yeah. Uh, it's effectively like a far-right party in, in sheep's clothing. Um, there's some worry that they might uh, gain a foothold in Scotland. Personally, from talking to my friends at Campaigning Scotland, I think that it's really easy to turn what you see on social media as mm-hmm. interpreting that as what's happening on the ground. My perception is that actually I think that they they don't have much traction. And the reason for that, you, you can find lots of reasons ideologically, but ultimately it is actually to do with campaigning the success of the green parties rise i mean definitely you have to have the right atmosphere you have to have the right mood but it's mainly due to campaign techniques where you have year-round work so you put leaflets through people's doors throughout the year monthly newsletters and you then during election time you really make sure that you are securing your vote and it's being really organized and that is what the left often lacks is organization the Scottish Family Party doesn't have infrastructure. It doesn't have that basis to successfully gain a foothold. If it gained a seat via the list, it would be able to retain that. And it would have to have enough of a vote in one region. The trouble, the, the thing about that system is that it's because the list vote is not across Scotland. It's a list within each region. So that they would have to have a significant proportion of the vote in one specific part of Scotland. Now, if they're polling at like 1%, maybe even less, then that means that they, in order to win a seat, they've got to have all of that 1% in one region. And I just don't see that materialising. I think um, this is the problem that quite a lot of small parties have is that they focus their identity very much on quite big issues but actually elections start being won when you start with local and you build upwards like that's how most political parties develop is it starts from a local issue a lot often like for example like a you know an issue with workers rights or a trade dispute or a green space or something like that and it causes a it's a catalyst for local action so i think when we look at these when we look at twitter we see these debates and arguments and it's really easy to magnify like you get that with alba which is the breakaway bit of a tiny bit of the smp that's broken away they are very transphobic for a start but also i think they overstate their support there will they will get certain percentage of votes but it won't be as big as i think they reckon because twitter creates this twitter has got the polarized views but it hasn't got what people on the doorstep are saying and i think you'll find that when you door knock what you tend to get is people say i'm labor 
but this time I'm voting. I'm Tory, but this time I'm voting. I'm in Scotland, but I'm SNP. And until a party cracks identity, where people start to identify as a voter of that party, it's hard to gain a foothold. In Exeter, the Green Party, we're just starting to do that now, where we talk, people will say, I'm green at the start of the sentence, rather than I am Labour, but this time I voted green. It takes years to do that. So mm-hmm. we should be wary of these parties. We shouldn't underestimate them, but we shouldn't expect success just yet. We should work to ensure that the parties and politicians we support are getting support on the ground so that their message is embedded in identity and not just something that materialises at the election. All right, Joe. Lots, lots to be uh, paying attention to. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of looking forward to our next chat. I'm like thinking ahead. Mm. What, um, what should we be tracking? What are we going to be looking back at and mentioning? Uh, obviously, I'll, 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 we'll be, you know, we'll be, uh, you know, uh, revisiting that little bit. How do the the family party in Scotland do? What else? What else are we are we going to be looking back to next time we talk? Obviously, just the outcomes of these elections, but. Uh, uh, generally speaking, you know uh, the the ramifications of of those elections and what we could look forward to, and uh, it'll mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to to see see what evolves. Um, I, I don't know what what should we be thinking about, uh, look uh, chatting about next time we we talk. So I think because that so you can sort of treat them as two sets of elections because there's the elections that should have happened last year and there are the elections that were meant to happen this year. Ah. Now the elections because of. COVID. Now, the elections that are meant to happen this year are mm. primarily county council elections. Now, they are mainly Tory controlled because they're rural counties. So they. Okay. what will be interesting is in those is what kind of backlash there is against the Tories, if any, or whether they strengthen their base. So that's one thing to watch is the county council results. Same with police and crime commissioner elections. You know, the Tories would expect to do well because they tend generally right wing parties hold quite a strong base around issues of crime and justice, even if that doesn't reflect the majority public opinion. It's some reason people Mm. still put their faith in that. So I would say be looking to see how the Tories do. Um, The Metro mayor elections will be interesting as well. Most of them, so some of the northern ones, there's a really interesting, like, which this is so different to what it would have been 10 years ago, is will the Tories take some of these Metro mayor elections from Labour? Will they, you know, continue their um, advancement amongst work, the working class, or will Labour take those back? And then there's a couple where it's interesting to watch because they're potentially outcomes other than Tory and Labour. So mm. Bristol, uh, its mayoral election could potentially, it's between Labour and Green, so it could be very interesting to have the first major city with a green mayor and london is likely to be between labor and tory but again because of the system where it's first and second preferences there's a if the tories poll particularly badly there's a very outside chance and it it is very small that a someone else like for example the green sean berry or louisa part the dem much less likely could win on second preferences but again those are like very far-fetched the main thing i think to watch it i mean in scott is scotland's the makeup you know if we're getting a majority if, if the smp get a majority on their own that is hugely significant um because it's another i mean even if boris johnson says it's not it, in the eyes of many is a mandate for another referendum because uh, that was the mandate last time mm-hmm. and if that's topped up by another 10 or 11 green MSPs, which would be double the number they got in 2016, then you've got a huge pro-independence. And that just shows further the divergence from Scotland and England. Um, I think also it'd be interesting to see the number of seats that are won by different parties, because last time the Lib Dems and the Greens won record numbers of seats, but that was in the hundreds. The What will be interesting to see is have they consolidated that since last time? Have they done enough work to go from one to two to three? You know, have they expanded their base enough in those areas? Because if they have, then we should be seeing instead of gains of hundreds, it potentially, you know, I mean, in the Greens case, it's possible we'll get another 300, up to 300 more council seats, which would be double what we currently have. So... It's, yeah, like, I think basically what happens to the Labour and the Tories, are they going to be punished or are they going to be, uh, are people going to return to them? And in Scotland, are the SNP going to, uh, you know, have a majority, which is, uh, and will there be a pro-independence majority? 
So, yeah. All right. Uh, looks like um, we have our homework. We'll, well, we know what to be Absolutely. looking forward to. Um, uh, Joe, I, 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 um, I, I think this is a great time to wrap it up just because uh, yeah. uh, it's, uh, we've, we've hit on lots of important things. We've planted many seeds uh, um, that we're going to be uh, able to return to next time. Mm, Joe, this is such a, such a fun chat. Really loved getting to know you, yeah, hearing your story you. a little bit. And then uh, and next time we chat, again, we're going to ditch the – we're going to ditch the format where we'll just be able to dig in a little bit more free form and, uh, and, and just, just continue the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to be covering the elections live on my channel on Friday as well. Hey. Um, so, uh, from, it's going to be, it's quite early for you. It's from 10 AM, uh, UK time. So you <laughs> have to work that back. It's probably about 4 AM start for you, but uh. I'll be still going probably until probably it's going to be about 10 hours at least of streaming because yeah. so if, people uh if people want to keep up to date or they want to pop in quickly and see what the situation is i will be there awesome. uh with a map <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll be doing the full shebang so yeah and i'll be trying to get, speak to campaigners on the ground as well so hopefully when we chat i'll be able to i'll be able to get a picture from beyond my uh from my own experience and look at see what what other people's experiences of the campaign have been as well so yeah well, Joe, thank you for your time. We invited thank you, you for having me. Yeah, this is a pleasure. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we invited you in the spirit of building leftist unity, strength, and power. You were a wonderful guest. Really looking forward to our next chat, and uh, and uh, I hope you stay well and and safe and and uh, and be and be healthy, etc. Yeah. Thank you. Likewise, solidarity. All right, peace and solidarity. We'll see you next time. Bye. Yeah. Great interview. It, it should say, it should say great success, but it says fail. Great success. That was Joe J. Levy. Make sure you follow Joe J. Levy here on the Twitch. Hey, listener, you just heard an episode of Leftist and Chill, the show you never knew you didn't need, but still can't live without the podcast version. Content like this is only made with the support of listeners like yourself. Please support at patreon.com slash idansimpson today.